Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. On this edition, you'll be hearing from Erin Weideman of Truth Becomes Her, a five-time cancer survivor and a homeschool mother who brings biblically-based insight to parents who have been thrust into teaching their kids at home. Plus, from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, Abdu Murray returns to share about how there are certain aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus that are relatable to those in an Eastern or Middle Eastern culture, the understanding of which can give Western Christians a deeper understanding of his teachings. Then, Charles Billingsley has had a painful bout with the COVID-19 virus and has recovered. He spoke with me recently about that experience, which actually occurred around the same time as the release of his most recent album project. Hear from that conversation ahead. Also from the center of Place of Hope, Greg Jantz explores elements concerning anxiety and depression, how the coronavirus and circumstances surrounding it can contribute to them, and how to seek out biblical relief. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum, bringing insight regarding how Christians can respond to the COVID-19 threat, not only in the present, but in the future. In our conversation, he approached some of the spiritual ramifications of this pandemic. You'll be hearing from him coming up. Well, this is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Erin Weideman is a homeschool mother who has a heart to help other parents in their journey of teaching their kids at home, which has become an unexpected journey for many parents who have found that their kids, once students in school away from home, are now involved in learning at home. She is the founder of Truth Becomes Her and the author of the Bible Bells series of books. With Christ-centered encouragement for parents attempting to facilitate learning at home, here is Erin Weideman. I think the number one thing right now I would tell parents to do is, yes, you're going to leverage the opportunity of the several weeks of the summer vacation break to just establish a good rhythm that's going to work for your kids, that's going to review the material they were used to seeing, you know, during the months of the academic year. And now that they've had a little bit of time off, you've sort of been in survival mode. And, and, you know, whether or not you've set a good rhythm for your family to get you through the end of the academic school year, we really have a great opportunity to say, okay, what are the things that we can review that we need to, you know, build on academically? And then any new introduced, you know, lessons that need to be introduced over the course of the next several weeks to prep them to start the next school year, you're going to be able to organize that at home. You're going to be able to implement a schedule and a routine for you know, these types of lessons and units that is going to work for your family. You don't need to be an expert in any particular subject to be an effective teacher. And honestly, nobody knows your children the way you do. You know, you know their personality, you know what lights them up, you know what frustrates them, and they're just not used to seeing you in this role. So it is going to take a little bit of grace for all parties, right, to, to establish something that looks new and normal. But certainly, I mean, this is a great chance for you to just sit down as a family and say, hey, okay, what is the curriculum we need to be working through? Let's, let's organize it by subject. Let's figure out a routine that works for you. Let's find some lessons online if we need to and we don't feel you know, fully supported by our, our child's school. And a lot of, you know, that's what I'm hearing from a lot of parents is that they've got you know, the lessons coming home from teachers that they either feel like they can use or it's not enough or they're scrambling, you know, they're searching the internet trying to find the answer. So you've got time over the next several weeks to find out what you need to get your questions answered 
and just create a situation, again, that's going to work for each of your learners. You've actually, as I understand it, based on your own experience, developed what's called a master class for parents. So share with me about that, if you would. Yes, we, I mean, over the last several weeks, we have received hundreds of messages from moms, dads, grandparents, you name it, who are just saying, hey, we know you're a trained teacher. We know you are homeschooling. You know, you're working from home. You're juggling all the things that now we're juggling with no notice and no budget. What do we do? So we created a mentorship series called the Heroic Homeschooler. It's video trainings, how-to guides. It's a supportive community where moms and dads and grandparents who are you know, shepherding this season of academic learning with their kids can just get plugged in and say, okay, I've got questions about curriculum. I've got questions about the schedule. How do I build a routine? What does the day look like? How can I get my family working really well together? So we wanted to create a a masterclass, a mentorship series that just invites the adults who care about these learners into a conversation. They can ask questions. They can really set up the situation that's going to work best for their family. So I love shepherding the people inside the community. We've got hundreds of adults in there asking great questions, getting support from me, our team, in just whatever way that we can support them during this time. So how can people get connected to that? Yeah, the best way is at truthbecomesher.com slash homeschool. The, the mentorship series is there. It gives you a breakdown of all the videos, all of the freebies. There's some great bonuses inside there, too. And, um, yeah, it's just the easiest to do is just pop on over to the website and enroll. So how has your faith in Christ really helped you and directed you with respect to being able to homeschool your daughter? Oh, my gosh, in every way. I mean, I have a very tumultuous, rocky faith walk. Um, The Lord really pursued me in my 20s. I I didn't become a new believer until I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time and had spent a few months just trying to, you know, do things on my own and walk it without him. And once I, I surrendered, um, the Lord really showed to me what a life and a faith a faith journey can look like. Um, he, he brought my husband to me. We've been married for 10 years. My daughter Rooney was born about four years into our marriage. We're currently pregnant with baby number two. So we, I mean, the Lord has just poured out his blessings and in his mercy, um, met me uh, at a time of complete suffering in my own life, you know, 26 diagnosed with cancer and just completely lost. I'm so grateful for what he's been in my life and just purpose every day to figure out how I can share him personally and professionally. Erin Weideman here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website truthbecomesher.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Senior Vice President of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, Abdu Murray, who provided some insight in a recent conversation into the life and ministry of Jesus as seen from the perspective of people from the East, including the Middle East, with material based on the book co-written with Ravi Zacharias entitled Seeing Jesus from the East, A Fresh Look at History's Most Influential Figure. From that conversation, this is Abdu Murray now. What is amazing about Jesus is that he values tradition. He values the collective. He understands the Eastern mindset of honor and shame, but he never upholds tradition and the collective at the expense of the individual. So you see a bridge of culture. You see that he values the collective. He values the community. He values honor, and he tries to deal with shame, but he also values the individual. And Westerners are you know, sort of obsessed with individualism. And so Jesus actually bridges both. He takes what's good about both 
and then values them both. So I think this is the way you can bridge it to say that he is an Easterner, but he also speaks to the Westerner. He is ancient, but he also speaks to us today. So give us an example that illustrates what you were sharing with respect to Jesus and his Eastern roots. What would be a, maybe a specific instance in his earthly ministry that could be helpful in that regard? One of the, the best ways is to understand how he used parables. Easterners think in parables, and Jesus taught in parables. The reason why that's important is because while a good, solid argument undergirded by facts can tell us what the truth is, a parable, a story, tells us what our relationship to the truth is, because we can see ourselves in the story. So a good example of this is uh, the parable of the generous employer uh, in, in Matthew chapter 20. You know, here Jesus tells us this parable where there's these guys who are these day laborers. They want to get a job for the day. And we see this today, don't we? I mean, people are sitting outside of Home Depot, drywall installers and, you know, uh, rough carpenters. They're looking for a day's work. And a guy will come by and say, okay, I need two drywallers today. And he'll pick some of the guys from the line. And other guys go home dejected because they don't have work that day. Well, Jesus tells the parable of a vineyard master who is a proxy for God in the parable. He goes and he sees a bunch of day laborers there. And he says, look, I want these guys to work with me. And so the master of the vineyard picks a certain people. And those people agree with the master of the vineyard to do a day's worth of work for a denarius, a single denarius as a day's wage. But later on, the master goes back and he sees guys waiting there, still waiting for a job. He goes back a second, a third, a fourth, and even a fifth time. And by the time the fifth round is there, it's one hour left of work in the day. And yet he hires people every single time. Now, the point of the story at the end comes when the master of the vineyard hires the guys who have worked for an hour, the same thing he paid the guys who worked all day. The guys who worked all day say, wait a minute, that's not fair. We deserve more money. Now, what's interesting about that is from my Eastern mindset, I remember when I first read this parable, I wasn't even a Christian when I first read this parable. And my first point, the first thing I thought of was, this is unfair. This is not fair. As a Westerner, I thought in those economic terms. But then my, my Easternness kicked in. I'm like, wait a minute, the point of this story is not about what's fair. It's about honor and shame. You see, the men who didn't get picked first should have gone home because they weren't going to get picked the rest of the day. That's not how it went. But they held out hope that they wouldn't have to return to their wife and their children and say, I didn't make a living today. I came home in shame. No, they held out hope that someone would honor them with a day's worth of work, and they could say, I earned this today. And so they held out hope. And so what the master of the vineyard does is he honors their faith as if it was work, and he pays them a full day's wage. He honored them and avoided the shame so they wouldn't have to feel it. Now, what I love about this parable, Bob, is that Jesus speaks to the honor and shame culture of the East. That's what the point of this parable is. But he also speaks to the philosophical conundrums we find ourselves here in the West. One of the things that Westerners think about is, how can human beings have free will if God is sovereign? If God is in control of everything, how am I in control of anything, including my own, my own decisions? Well, what happens in the parable? Not only does God, does God honor those who held out hope for work, but the guys at the end say, you owe us more. You guys, you paid them the same amount of money you paid us. And what does the master of the vineyard say? Friend, didn't you agree with me for the denarius? Aren't I paying what you agreed to? In other words, you exercised your free will, and you came to a fair conclusion, and I'm paying you a fair wage for what you did. 
and you did it freely of your own free will. But can't I be generous to who I want to be generous with? God's sovereignty. So in the very parable, not only do you see honor and shame cultures spoken to, but the philosophical conundrums of our day spoken to as well. Abdu Murray here on The Intersection. The book's website is seeingjesusfromtheeast.com. The ministry site is rzim.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Christian musical artist and teaching pastor at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, Charles Billingsley. In our recent conversation, he shared about his painful bout with the COVID-19 virus and his recovery, as well as the concept of and songs on his album project, I Was Made For This. From that conversation, this is Charles Billingsley now. Yeah, it's really weird. I I don't know why, but somehow I got a severe case of it. Um, Most people, it's pretty mild, doesn't last real long, but um, for some reason with me, it latched on pretty hard. Um, but you know, like I say, I, there's, I, I'm grateful because there's many, many people in this country who it's, it's really devastated their mm-hmm. lives and, and taken their lives. And so, uh, honestly, I'm just very grateful that somehow, some way I was able to, uh, avoid total disaster. And in our limited time, mm-hmm. just wanted to maybe have you just talk about maybe one of the aspects of the uh, coronavirus that through which God really spoke and, and ministered to you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there there was uh, quite a few moments. Um, I can remember several specifically in the hospital where, you know, I, I just uh, cried out to God, um, searching for his healing hand and, and asking him to, you know, pull me through this and, and, I, you know, it's funny, I, in the process of it all, I never really felt fear. I was never afraid to die. Um, I never felt uh, afraid. But at the same time, um, I did feel anxiety. And, I, and, uh, and I'll never forget the night. I don't, I don't know what I was reading. I mean, obviously, I was reading Scripture like crazy and, and listening to worship and all that. But... Um, I came across Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and um, Paul just tells us there, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so I just uh, turned the corner that night in my mentality and began to thank God in advance for healing me. And, um, And I just began to praise the Lord rather than keeping my eye on my situation. And so um, I I just started to worship. Latest record is called I Was Made For This. Let me ask you about this song on the project. It's called Sing For My Soul. Tell me about the inspiration mm. behind that and the, the message of it. Well, um, the, 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 the idea came after a concert one night. A lady came up to me and she said, you know, I cannot sing. I don't have a good singing voice. She goes, and I sit there and I listen to you sing, and everything in my heart just says, oh, I wish he would sing for me. I wish he would sing his praises for me to the Lord. And in other words, can you use your voice to praise the Lord on my behalf? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and I went back to my hotel room, and I was thinking about that, and I realized that in a very real way, the Holy Spirit does that for us, when we don't have the words to say and we don't know how to pray, 
the Bible tells us in Romans that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And so we wrote this song about the intercession of the Holy Spirit called Sing for My Soul. And uh, it turned out really cool. And um, it tends to be some people's favorites uh, on the record. Another favorite is a song called Where You're Supposed to Be. Um, that idea came from a friend of mine who I was uh, expressing frustration to last fall because our house hadn't sold in California and I was supposed to be moving to Virginia and I was just frustrated. Well, all that time in California, I'd been sort of working with him on helping him through some major issues. And uh, in my frustration, he just stopped me mid-sentence and he said, hey man, listen, uh, after these two years, I can tell you, I think you're right where you're supposed to be. And so I went home that afternoon and I called my friend Tony Woods and I said, hey man, I think I need to write a song about being in the center of the will of God. And I want to call it where you're supposed to be. And uh, man, of all the songs on the record, uh, that one may be the most timely of all for this coronavirus situation that we're all going through because we all kind of wonder, man, what, what on earth is going on? What can I be doing? You know, am, am, I, am I in the right spot? What am I doing? And I think that song might bring some comfort to a lot of people. Charles Billingsley here on The Intersection. His website address is charlesbillingsley.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. The podcast is also in the Media Center. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and through a variety of podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, the founder of The Center, A Place of Hope, Greg Jantz, joined me recently. He has some relevant comments on the relationship between the coronavirus and anxiety and depression. He's the author of around 30 books, including Seven Answers for Anxiety. From that recent conversation, this is psychologist Greg Jantz. The World Health Organization, whatever you think of that group, they say that <laughs> depression is the number one disability in the world. But here's what's happening. I mean, that's above heart disease. That's above cancer. Depression, number one. Anxiety now is being called the new depression. So there's so much anxiety, and it's paralyzing. Anxiety means I have physical symptoms. My sleep is disruptive. I have digestive symptoms. I may have aches and pains. Uh, my body's uh, pumping out a lot of that stress hormone, cortisol. I may have uh, a lot of body aches. Anxiety is affecting a lot of times my breathing, my concentration. So anxiety uh, is affecting a lot of folks right now. And some of that can get pretty severe. Anxiety, of course, um, is, is paralyzing, we, and so is depression. And the people right now are experiencing both. 
there's a depression where there's an apathy, where I'm just not functioning, and I see no hope for the future. We have right now, um, Bob, too many people in despair. They're feeling that despair, uh, and they're over the edge. The despair is financial pressure. It's unemployment. It's trying to get back to work. Uh, it's it's wondering what is next. Um, I'm calling. There's well, I'm calling um, acute anticipatory anxiety. It's, hmm. In other words, we're in, we're in, it's acute. It's intense, and it's anticipatory in that we are. We don't know what's next, but we know like something bad's going to happen. The shoe's going to drop, uh, and people are waiting. What's next? Um, and so there, we have all this going on, and chronic stress is high. And I think we're going to see uh, we're going to see people with this despair. Desperate people do desperate things. There may be a higher suicide rates. We know right now addiction rates are going up. Alcohol use is soaring as well as cannabis soaring. Mm. So people, mm. and I think for others that may not uh, eat or you know, drink, uh, food is it. Um, food is, has been the drug of choice. So people are trying to cope, and it's self-destructive. What does a person begin to do in order to experience more of a peaceful, <laughs> a peaceful existence, if you will? Sure. Well, one of the things that people need to do is we've got to hit the pause button. We tend to get in desperation, and we become erratic, and we become impulsive, uh, and we begin to do things that we later regret. So when I say hit the pause button, I think one of the things we need to do is uh, start every day. We're told that um, you know that the Lord is our strong tower. What's what's the verse? The name of the Lord is a strong, strong tower. Strong tower, yeah. Yeah. And the righteous run to to him, uh, or run to it, and and are safe. That that was my paraphrase. Hopefully, I got it pretty close. Um, it's a proverb, eighteen twenty, I believe. So, what we know is, what's your strong tower? Well, maybe I need to ha- go to the same place in my home every day, and sit down, start a journal, and write three gratitudes every day. What? Yeah, really, write three gratitudes every day. Uh, gratitudes for uh, your uh, maybe simple things, um, but every day write down three gratitudes. Just anchor yourself in, first of all, thanksgiving. And also, we need to begin to say, Lord God, you have a plan in all this. And one of the things that my uh, wife has done for our family is, an, you know, she's put a notification that pops up every day on our phones, our computers. <laughs> And the notification says this. I'm looking at it right now. It says one person a day. Every day I get this notification, one person a day. And and she plugged that into all of us as a family because she reminds us that every day um, God will send at least one person that needs a, needs a positive word, a good word, needs, needs a, a, some care. Maybe they need a meal. They need something. And God's going to uh, have them in your life and put them in front of you to respond to. So don't become so self-absorbed with our own issues that we forget that God's at work and he may want to use us. Greg Jantz here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, aplaceofhope.com. 
Finally, here on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Chief Visionary Officer for the Denison Forum, columnist and commentator Jim Denison. He shared insight with me into how Christians can respond to the coronavirus in the present and the future. He's released a number of books, including Biblical Insights to Tough Questions, Coronavirus Special Edition, and Biblical Insights to Tough Questions, Volume 5. Here now from that conversation is Jim Dennison. What would you project for the future as far as at least approaching something that looks, well, more like normal? <laughs> really, that's going to be on several levels. If you're an at-risk person, if you're somebody with pre-existing conditions, somebody more likely to respond negatively to this infection, then we're going to want you to stay home. We're going to want you to experience worship online. We're going to want to minister to you in ways that are far more... Uh, uh, safe relative to the possibilities of your, of your becoming infected. So that's one category inside churches. You're thinking about elderly members. You're thinking about people with heart conditions, high blood pressure, which, by the way, is a much more significant predictor than we realized. Issues like that. On the other end of the spectrum, you're thinking about people that have already been infected and perhaps have some kind of herd immunity, people that uh, at that point feel like they're, uh, they perhaps could be more on the front lines. They'll be the ones ministering to those that perhaps are infected, to those that are at high-risk issues, things like that. So you'll see a stratification of your congregation relative to risk factors in the context of this. Relative to actual worship services themselves, I think we'll see a place where we're going to see social distancing measures for us significant times going forward. So your church could meet again if you have less than 50 in the room, let's say, or if they'll be six feet apart except in families, or if they'll stagger attendance. If you'll have a situation where birthdays January through March are this Sunday and, and April through June or next Sunday or some such as that. We're going to continue to see an online presence in our ministries, I think, forever. I think we're discovering we could reach people that weren't going to church physically, but will come to us online. We're seeing churches have phenomenal experiences. I know a church in California with 8,000 people in its online service before the pandemic, 1.3 million people in their online service on Easter Sunday. I know of churches that are reaching families that are reaching out to the church for family resources now that they're homeschooling and had no preparation for that. And so we're going to see new ways to reach people we didn't have before. We're going to find people that can minister online more effectively. They just didn't know it before that. So that'll always be a part of us. But in just to summarize, but in terms of in-person worship services, you'll see social distancing. You'll probably see temperatures taken at the door. You may see a much more ubiquitous use of hand sanitizers. They're going to be distancing things. These are being done in offices right now. Six-foot offices are being designed right now with elevators that you don't have to touch the button. You could speak to and covers from uh, mutually used uh, workstations, things like that. We'll see that kind of innovation in churches, and we'll see a stratification of the congregation relative to at-risk factors, I think. So we look to God as our source of hope. We look to our Lord Jesus Christ to sustain us. But as we look at suffering and what the Bible has to say about God's presence and purpose in our suffering, how would you respond to that question with respect to what God would want to do in our lives through suffering? Thank you. That is obviously the largest issue we face. We know that God is all-knowing. So we knew the pandemic before we did. He's all loving, so you would think he'd want to prevent it. He's all powerful, so we could. And yet here we are. It's at a time like that that we really have to turn toward God, even when it's hard. It's like trusting medicine, even if a doctor failed me. It's, it's trusting God because we most need him at a time when it's hardest sometimes to trust him. And so I really have several thoughts in that regard. First of all, God hurts as we hurt. 
God suffers as we suffer. In Isaiah 43, when you go through the fire, I'm with you. When you go through the river, it won't, it won't overpass you because I'm with you. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You need fear and no evil, for I am with you. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. He's weeping at the graves of those that we loved and, and that are now with him. When he, he is with us. He hurts with us. He suffers with us. That's one point. A second point is that I believe God has a future on the other side of this we can't see in the present. In Romans 8, 18, Paul said, I can't, uh, I can't measure the eternal good that will come from my present suffering. And that's just how God works. God is going to work through this in ways that we will see in the future we can't see right now. But a third factor, I am convinced, Bob, that God redeems all he allows. Because he's all-powerful, he has to allow or cause all that happens. Because he's all-loving, he wants what's best for us. So I'm convinced that God is redeeming this pandemic for an even greater good than the pandemic itself. I'm not saying I understand that. I don't understand the technology by which we're having this conversation right now. But I believe that God is, in fact, doing that. We're hearing about spiritual awakening happening around the world. We're seeing people turning to God in unprecedented numbers. Our own website traffic has more than doubled in recent weeks. Our podcasts have gone through the roof. People are turning to God at a time like this. They're, they're aware of mortality in a way they weren't willing to admit just a few months mm-hmm ago. So I'm convinced God is redeeming this for an even greater good, and he suffers as we suffer in the meantime. Jim Dennison here on The Intersection. In addition to the books that I mentioned earlier, there's also a white paper that he has called Life After the Pandemic, What May Happen and How to Prepare Biblically. To learn about his resources, including the daily article, you can go to the website denisonforum.org. Denison is spelled D-E-N-I-S-O-N. You can find out about Denison Ministries at denisonministries.org. We are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. There's a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection. Also, the podcast can be found in that Media Center and you can subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to faithradio.org. There's a link to the Meeting House homepage in the programming section. Conversations from the Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio app as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.